You're listening to the Promised Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Aaron. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. powerful. I feel like we're beginning to see over the past couple of months and weeks what we've been praying for as a church. I believe that the Lord is moving in a way that um, requires uh, schedules to be changed, requires lives, just as Larry and Rachel mentioned, to be laid bare before the Lord. I believe the Lord is looking for people who will truly surrender everything. How easy it is to surrender a couple of things. How difficult it is to surrender everything. And the Lord is looking for people who will surrender everything. If you were here last week, uh, second service, I feel like we saw a glimpse into what it looks like when the Lord comes and takes over a church. And if you weren't here... Church went for about two and a half hours and probably could have gone on another hour, second service last week, and the Lord just moved and people were hungry and desperate for Jesus because the reason why we're here is simply to be with him. There's no other reason why I woke up this morning. There's no other reason why I woke my children up to shove food in their face to get here early except because Jesus is here. Jesus is here. That's why you showed up today was to encounter Jesus. It wasn't to hear a great message. It wasn't to hear worship songs. It was to simply encounter him. And that's all we want. That's all we want is just Jesus to come and to show up. And I believe that God is going to bring a move upon this region in a way that we've never experienced before, in a way we've never thought possible before, because there's enough hungry people to say we won't relent until we see God come. We won't relent until we see the move of the Holy Spirit come across this region to where church isn't big enough to house these people, to where churches unite, to where schools, auditoriums are filled with people, young people, hungry, pursuing Jesus, where football games end in worship, where, where businesses don't have foreclosure anymore, where there's no more drug and alcoholism in an area where, where jails and, and prisons are empty because people just want to serve Jesus. That's what I'm believing for. I'm believing for what we read about in Acts is actually going to come that entire city can know Jesus. And we won't stop until we see it. We won't relent until we see God come and move. I'm tired of praying for healing and not seeing it. I'm tired of praying for revival and not seeing it, but I won't quit until it comes. I believe God has deposited faith in our hearts and he's depositing faith in this church to begin to believe for the things that we pray for. To no longer pray empty prayers that just say things just because it's regurgitating what other people say. But to have believers and Christians who believe that what the Bible says is possible is possible. You realize that in Acts, entire regions heard the gospel. Entire regions, entire cities were saved. That's not great stories. That's not just a great idea, but that is possible to happen today. And I believe that it's going to happen in Woodland, in Richfield, in the center, Kalama, Longview, Kelso, Battleground, and Vancouver because there's enough hungry people in this church and other churches that will say, we will continue, we won't relent, we won't get impatient, we won't get tired and weary, but we will run after the king. And that's why we're here, is we're here for Jesus. Um, we, as a, as a church, as leaders over the 
over the year, we plan out months in advance what we're going to speak on generally. And oftentimes, there'll be empty weeks, but there'll be kind of generic things that we feel like the Lord is speaking to us that we're going to focus on months ahead. And um, back in November, December time, we felt like the Lord told us to start a new series this week. And uh, it was a series on finances. And I haven't dreaded a series more over the past few weeks than this one. If you know me, it's not because I don't like this topic. It's because I felt like what the Lord has been doing over the past few weeks, the last thing I want to do is distract from him. The last thing I want to do is shift any focus away from simply looking into the eyes of Jesus. And Monday, my brother and I, we talked at length just trying to hear the voice of God because I wanted to find any reason I possibly could to not speak to you on finances. And, uh, and then in our staff meeting Tuesday morning, we talked a lot about it as well and just trying to be like, God, we, we don't feel like we should do this. What direction should we go? And um, I felt like the Lord convicted me to say, can I not move when we talk about money? Do you think I'm limited by a topic or a theme? You think I'm limited by anything? That if God wants to move upon his people, he will move? As long as his people are surrendered to him. And so today we're, we're going to begin this series on finances over the next couple of weeks. And, and I believe that much like what happened last year when we did this series, much like what we heard with Larry and Rachel. I remember meeting with Larry and Rachel a couple of years ago at their house looking at their money and their finances. And all three of us were like, yeah, this isn't going to work. I think everybody at that dinner table was like, this, is, this feels hopeless right now. But yet, it's amazing when you stand upon the principles of the Word of God, how hope comes into a hopeless situation, and two years removed, you look back and you're like, how did we get here, but only by the grace of God? And why did they get there? Because of complete surrender. Complete surrender. They were all in. See, the topic of finances, generally, if you've been in church longer than five minutes, the topic of finances that you are familiar with is tithing. That's all we know about is tithing. God wants your 10%, and if you don't get it, give it, shame on you. That's all we know. This is what generally pastors preach on money. That's not really what the Bible says. The Bible actually says that it's all his. He's not after 10. He's after 100. 100%. We can't as believers say we're going to go all into the Lord and then remove sections of our lives that we want to retain control over. The idea of money begins and ends with the idea of control. Begins and ends with control. Will you try to retain control of your money and your finances or will you give it to him? It's the same with your life. It's the same with your marriage. It's the same with your children. Control. Will you give it to the Lord and surrender to him? And so the, the title of this series is going to be called, you can put it up there, because I actually forgot what it was. The 10, the 90, and the 100. The 10, the 90, and the 100. The Bible is very clear that it is all the Lord's. Oftentimes as believers, we give 10 and we forget about the 90. Do you realize the Bible talks just as much about the 90 as he does about the 10? That if you don't steward well the 90, it's almost immaterial the fact that you're given the 10. That your finances are a way for the Lord to train you and to teach you how to receive and to handle the true riches of life. 
And yes, we are to walk in obedience and, tr- and give 10% to the Lord, which we're going to talk about a little bit today. But if you don't steward the 90, if you don't budget the 90, the Bible talks about budgeting, it talks about investing, it talks about multiple streams of income, it talks about paying your taxes, it talks about debt, it talks about all these things, not just tithing. And as believers, we're meant to steward the full hundred. The full hundred is the Lord's. That you and I, as followers of Jesus, are not meant to hold on tightly to our finances, but are meant to release control and give it to the Lord. And that's what this is really all about these next couple of weeks. Last year, we gave a book away to every single adult in the church. We're going to do the same. It's a different book. We believe so strongly as, as, as pastors that the topic of finances is a place where the devil often destroys believers that we want to give you as much material as we possibly can. And so we bought a book for you by Pastor Robert Morris. We gave a, a similar book last year, but this year it's a little bit different. And at the end of the service, we're going to give away a book to each one of you. I, I, I challenge you. I implore you to, to read this as a couple, a husband and wife, to read it, whether you're single, whether you're a young person, but to read this and begin to ask the Lord what it looks like to begin to steward your finances according to the kingdom of God. Everybody say amen. amen. Did you know that the Bible actually talks about money more than almost any other topic? That there are 500 scriptures about faith There are 500 scriptures about prayer, but there are over 2,000 scriptures about money and possessions. Over 2,000. I believe that the Lord is trying to show us something because oftentimes on the battlefield of your finances, the devil defeats you and kicks your butt. And we don't even realize it, but that area in our lives can be subject to jealousy, can be subject to doubt, can be subject to shame and and lack of trust with the Lord. It can be subject to uh, all these other areas in our lives and manipulation and control. And it centers around the idea of our finances. And we're going to look in scripture how the Lord uses that area in our lives to teach us so many other things. Amen. This is the one topic that can turn a charismatic church into a Baptist church in a matter of five seconds. (laughs) There's two subjects that no one wants to really hear about when they come to church and it's sex and money. There's one that ranks higher than the other. This is probably the lower one. I'm sorry. We, we, the youth group is going there right now on the other topic. If you need help in that topic, just come on Wednesday nights, and you'll get them both in the same week. It'll be powerful. <laughs> Matthew 16, 24 through 25 says this. This is, a, this is a scripture we've read a lot. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, But whoever loses their life for me will find it. The same battle over your life is the same battle over your finances. If you try to retain control of your money, you will lose it. If you choose to give it to the Lord, you will find it. I've seen it in my life and countless lives in this church that when I surrendered my life and my finances, Lord, blessing came in a way that I couldn't have found it if I just gave him all the other things but retained control of my finances. That this area... Oftentimes, we don't realize it, but this area is one of the last areas that for many believers we hold on to in terms of control. We don't believe that the Lord actually wants to take care of us. Did you know that money in and of itself is not bad? The Bible says it's the, the, the root of evil. Sorry, somebody help me. My brain is hurting right now. The love of money is the root. Just help me. 
Root of all evil, thank you. It's something. You all know the verse. <laughs> the love of money. It is not money. Okay? It is not money. It is the love of money. Let me say it again. Money is not evil. Money is neutral. It is neither good nor it is bad. It is neutral. It is how you use it, which will dictate whether it is good or whether it is bad. But it is the love of money, not money itself. God desires to bless you. I believe that over these next three weeks that there's many in this church who have generational curses in their lives in terms of poverty, and it's going to be broken. God's desire is to bless you. Why? So that you can be a blessing. That is the only reason why. It is not so that you and I can have great things and great cars and great houses and go on great vacations. All wonderful things, but that is not why God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others, so you can be a giver. We do not give to get. You and I do not give away money. We do not give away time. We do not give away resources so that we can get something in return. That's what we call manipulation. What we do is we get to give. Why do we get to give? Because you and I are called to be disciples, which means we're to follow Jesus and we're to be like him. And what is he? The greatest giver of all time. He gave the utmost, his life. And now you and I are called to give everything in return, including our money. We're called to give everything just as he gave. In Genesis 12, verse 2. This is God talking to Abraham. You have it up there? Genesis 12, verse 2. I will make you a great nation. This is God speaking to Abraham. And I will bless you. Notice the idea of blessing was the Lord's idea. I will bless you and make your name great. Why? And you shall be a blessing. This is why the Lord wants to bless you, so that you will be a blessing. First Chronicles 4, 9 through 12 says, Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, I bore him in pain. Great name. Thankfully, Josh and Ashley and their beautiful baby boy is not named Jabez. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed. Notice he is asking God to bless him and enlarge my territory, or if I could say it another way, increase my income, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. Can I say it another way for you? That I may bless someone, that may be a blessing to those around me. So God granted him what he requested. God granted him what he requested so he could be a blessing to other people. For those of you who don't know, I, obviously I'm one of the senior pastors here, but we have a team. There's a team of us that lead this church. Everybody else is on staff. I, I don't actually work here during the day. I have an investment firm, and I have a, quite a few different advisors that work for me, and we are a wealth management firm where we manage assets for people, whether they've got $20 million or $20,000. And I, so I've seen every gamut of success and wealth that you can imagine. Did you know what I've learned is that money is not the answer? Whether you've got $20 million in the bank and make millions a year in cash flow or you've got $20 to your name, the same issues are still there. 
You don't know how to use your money. You don't know whether it will last. You're fearful that you're going to make the bad decision. You, you don't trust anyone. You, you don't make great decisions in terms of uh, managing and stewarding what you have. They're all there, whether you've got a lot or a little. So money in and of itself is not the answer. More money will not solve your problems. It won't do it. This is exactly why people who say, I'll start being generous or I'll start tithing once I have more money have missed the entire issue. Because if you can't be trusted with a little, you won't be trusted with much. And it's the Lord using what you've been entrusted with to teach you. And if you can learn how to, how to use wisdom and good stewardship principles with little, it's amazing how he'll give you much. My wife and I, um, we've shared quite a few different stories about how the Lord has challenged us to be generous. I've shared a couple of times about how back when I was like 16 years old, the Lord asked me to give away all of my favorite clothes. All of them. Thankfully, I wasn't naked because I had some non-favorite clothes for all of you wondering. But he asked me to give away all of my favorite clothes. A couple years later, he asked me to give away my car. Now, that car was worth, I don't know, six, $7,000. It wasn't a really expensive car, but he had me give it away. And then I, had, I got no car back. I drove my parents' minivan, soccer dad at 18. And then last year, and there was many different things in the middle of that, but last year the Lord asked us to give away all of our house savings that we were ready to go build our, our dream home. Now, you might say, wow, that's amazing. I can't believe you did that. You want to know why we were able to do that? Because we said yes with the clothes. Why did David defeat Goliath? Because he killed the lion and the bear. The Lord is looking for people who will be faithful with a little, who will say yes when it doesn't seem like much, when it's just a few articles of clothing, when it's just $10 here or $100 there. Because if you could say yes in those moments, and then you can say yes when there's a few extra zeros, and then you can say yes when there's a lot of zeros, the Lord's saying, I could trust you with a lot because I could trust you with a little. This is what the Lord is looking for. In Luke 16, 10 through 12, it says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, what is the unrighteous mammon? Money. If you cannot be faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? You cannot be faithful in your finances and in your possessions. Who would entrust you true riches? What are true riches? Healthy families. We just heard Larry and Rachel talk about true riches. Children knowing the Lord. Trent, they're, how old is Trent? Or East, no, how old is Trent? 12. Gets filled with the Holy Spirit on Friday night and is speaking in tongues. That's true riches. Okay, their daughter, Taylor, is all of a sudden a prophesying machine, and she's given crazy prophetic words, and if you would have asked them a year ago if that would be possible, they'd be like, ain't, no, probably not. We got a few years to work on. That's true riches. Souls, people that Larry and Rachel are discipling, that's true riches. If you can't take care of your car, why would he allow you to take care of a person? If your car is trashed, you can't ever change the oil. It's, it's puttering along, and I get that finances and the ability to take care of it is sometimes an issue. But if you can take care of it and you're not, and you got garbage sprung, it's thrown everywhere, and it just looks like a, a pile of, of junk in there, why would he give you a soul to begin a disciple? 
God uses the unrighteous things in your life to train you for the true riches of life. This is why it's, it's important for you to take care of your home. It's important for you to take care of your stuff because it's that stuff that God uses to teach you things. It's no different than what I do with my children. No different than if you're a parent, what you do with your kids. You got things that you want to give them, but you're like, I, I want to know that you can handle what I have to give you. So I'm going to teach you how to be you know, a good steward of these things so I can give you, give you something more. We all know the idea of stewardship. Wave at me if you've heard the idea of stewardship, right? Oftentimes we hear it like with a stewardship campaign, we're going to raise a ton of money to help do something in the church. Stewardship in and of itself comes down to the idea of control. Let's say I have a house I'm renting out, and a tenant is living in that house. I am not stewarding that I'm managing. That tenant is stewarding it because it's not theirs. Stewardship is all about control. You cannot steward what you own. This is why the hundred is so important because what we try to do is we try to steward the hundred while retaining control. You can't do it. You can't steward your finances. You can't steward your children or your marriage until you give it to the Lord and you give up control. Then and only then can you actually begin stewarding. Previously, you're just managing it. Just managing it. God is the God of multiplication. You and I can only add and subtract. God cannot multiply what you do not give him. So if you're there and you're praying, God, just bless me and change all my finances and give me increase and give me growth, he cannot multiply it until you give it to him. Now, I would highly encourage you this week and the next couple weeks, if you don't take notes, I would really start taking notes. Because I believe that the Lord is going to speak to you a lot in terms of your, your money and your possessions. Every time I speak on something like this, the Lord challenges me. And if I know he's challenging me, he's going to be challenging you. It begins and ends with giving up control to the Lord. If you can't be faithful with unrighteous mammon, why would God give you true riches? Larry and Rachel are perfect examples of this. They're beginning to see their family encounter Jesus after they begin to steward their life and surrender it to the Lord. It is an equation that works every single time. If you want to see breakthrough in your children's, try stewarding your life better. Is that too blunt this morning? If you want to see breakthrough in your marriage, try stewarding what God has entrusted you with. That is your training ground. That's your training ground. So I want to give you two different points this morning. The first one is this, is that everything belongs to the Lord. I know we already talked about it, but Psalms 24 verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all of its people belong to him. It's all his. My wife and I, when we first got married, I moved from my parents' house to living with her. Don't advise it. Uh, because I moved from a place where my parents helped in every way possible. They paid for my cell phone bill. They uh, gave me some gas money when I needed it. They, they bought all of my food. Lots of food. Yes, he's telling me lots of food. I was an expensive eater. Lots of food. And so when I moved in with, and my parents didn't make a lot of money. They were just very generous people. When I moved, my wife and I got married and we moved in together, I didn't know what things cost. And I remember getting our first AT&T bill and it was like 180 bucks. And I'm like, we're canceling our cell phones today. Who needs them? They're wasteful. 
She would come back from Costco with four items and $130 later, and I'm like, that was dumb. Where'd you hide the rest of the food? You are not allowed to shop for a house anymore. She was the problem. I was convinced of it. So she's like, then you come with me if you're so smart. And I did. And I could not believe how expensive things were. I'm like, how did my parents even afford to like live? I, I quickly understood the concept of ownership. All of a sudden, when it was my money, it meant something. It was valuable. This whole thing is about ownership. Will you surrender it to the Lord? And I believe that in order for you to find break, breakthrough in more areas in your life than just in your finances, it's going to cause you and require you to come to the altar of the Lord and not just lay yourself on there, but leave your wallet and your bank account back door and with a plan B that, well, I'm just going to leave it there until God requires it later. No, he, he won't actually burn you up as the sacrifice until everything is on the altar. He won't do it. And he's looking for people like you and like me who will say, God, everything is yours. But you know, you can't live a generous life until you steward well because you'll have nothing to give. And oftentimes as believers, we want to be generous people. We want to give our time or we want to give our money or we want to give resources. And then we're like, I just don't have much to give, so I'm going to wait till I have more. No, learn how to be stewarding well what you've been given. Be generous with what you have. And then it's amazing how you're entrusted with more. It is a process that God honors. You can't skip it. There's no easy way. There's no fast track. Amen. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 said, Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. If your body is not your own, your finances are definitely not your own. If your own life, what is true worship? That you would be a living sacrifice. If your own life is not your own, your finances are right alongside. It's not yours. As believers, I've been this way. I can remember back. Seven, eight years ago, my wife and I, we stopped tithing because we were going through stupid stuff. And we're like, we're not going to tithe. And the Lord, man, just rocked us and convicted our hearts in such a way and dealt with so many issues that centered around the simple concept of tithing and giving. So many other issues that we had that came to the root of will we actually trust the Lord with what he's given us. Tithing. Tithing is 10, 10%. And in scripture, the number 10 represents a test. And every time you get paid, whether it's weekly, bi-monthly, or monthly, you take a test. Will you choose to trust the Lord with 10% with the first, or will you think that you can do better with 100? Do you believe that God can do Better with 90, or you can do better with 100. Got really quiet. Just like take a big deep breath. I love you. Y'all look great today. Feels good to talk about money, doesn't it? Feels really good. Just to give you a precursor, next week, I got to tell you, if next week is empty, we'll know why. No, just kidding. No, next week, we're going to talk about the 90. 
I am super passionate about the 90 because the Bible talks to you about investing. Talks talks about debt. It talks about multiple streams of income. It talks about all these things with finances that never talked about in church. And here at the Promise Church, we want you to be well informed with what the Word of God says. Amen? So come next week with a pen and paper and take notes and ask the Lord what he wants to show you about your finances. Anything that we're, we're teaching about up here, we're, we're learning, we're growing in ourselves. We don't profess to have it all made. The first belongs to the Lord. Exodus 13 verse 1. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, consecrate to me all of the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast. Now notice God, that, that this is God who, who never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? It is mine. The first. Okay, the first. The very beginning. Not the leftover, but the first. Y'all hear me? The first. The very beginning. Before you know if you have enough, it's the first. Exodus 23, 19. The first of the first fruits. In other words, the tithe of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord. Notice he didn't say give. He said bring. Why is that significant? Because when you give something, it means you're owning it and giving it. You can't give what you don't own. You bring it back to him because it's his to begin with. Genesis 4, verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering. Notice it doesn't say first. He just brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Why? Because it wasn't the first. And you may say, well, hey, that's part of the old covenant. We're not under the old covenant anymore. You're absolutely right. We're not under the old covenant. But if you think that you can lie and steal and kill, then you're greatly mistaken. The idea of tithing predates the law, actually. Cain and Abel was 4,000 B.C. Abraham was... I think I have it written down here to get it right. 2000 BC. Abraham was 2000 BC, and then the law came in 1500 BC. (laughs) For all those math wizards in the room, 4000 BC was Cain and Abel. 2000 B or 1500 BC was Abraham, and then 1000 BC was the law. So my math is broken today. I can't even think or speak. A long time before the law, they were tithing. 500 years before the law, Abraham tithes to Melchizedek, which was a representation of Jesus. 500 years before the law was even given. Has nothing to do with the law. Genesis 14 is where Abraham tithes to Melchizedek. Joshua 7, it talks about that withholding the tithe is actually stealing from the Lord. Malachi 3, 6 through 11, a verse that many of us have heard thousands of times. For I am the Lord and I do not change. You should just like imprint that in everything you own. The Lord doesn't change. He doesn't change. He's still the same. Amen. It's a good time to say amen. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone from my ordinances and have not kept them. What ordinances do you ask? 
return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? In what ordinances are you talking about us keeping? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? I don't understand, Lord. What ordinances are we not keeping? In what way are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. You cannot rob from somebody if you own it. I cannot rob, robs, I, I can't rob from Rob. I'm going to use a different person. I cannot rob from Marlies. That was really funny. I did not plan on doing that. Thank you, Lord. That was great. I needed a smile. I cannot rob from Marlies my own car. That's ridiculous. Even if she steals my car, I'm not robbing from her. I'm taking it back. I can only rob from Marlies what she owns. And the Bible is saying if you do not tithe, you are robbing from the Lord because it is his. Not only is 100% his, but that first 10 is definitely the Lord's. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Put it back up there if you would. Verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, for so he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Tithing does two things. Guarantee it happens every single time. It rebukes the devourer. The Lord will protect you from the enemy. And it opens up the windows of heaven over you to bless you. I cannot explain it. I do not know why it happens. But it happens to unbelievers the same way it happens to believers. God's principles are not dictated based upon what you believe. They happen for everybody. In fact, I read a lot of success books. All the time, actually. Books about business written by non-believers. People who don't even know the Lord and don't profess to know the Lord. And you want to know what they say? Give 10%. Why? Because it works every single time. It's the only area where God says to test them. He says, test me in this. Because the number 10 represents a test for you and for him. And every time you get paid, you're taking a test. Will you trust the Lord with the 10? And he says, let me prove myself to you. Let me prove myself to you. Every single time. Now, if you're here and you're saying, wow, that's great. You just read a bunch of Old Testament scriptures. You got a new one in your book. I'm so glad you asked. Matthew 23, 23. This is red letters. This is Jesus speaking. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith, things that you and I would say it's all about. This is what Jesus says. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. What is he saying? You ought to have focused on justice and mercy and faith and tithe. If there was no other scripture in the entire Bible but only that one, that one would be enough for me because it's Jesus speaking. And he's saying you ought to tithe. You ought to tithe. I'm going to say it again and everybody just say amen with me. You ought to tithe. And if you don't believe it. Leviticus 27 verse 30 says all the tithe of the land whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's it is holy to the Lord it is holy to the Lord your tithe is the Lord's and it is holy to him and when we hold on and retain control you are robbing and stealing from the Lord imagine that imagine the Lord standing there and you just grabbing into his pocket and taking out money that's what you're doing 
And when you trust in him, when you trust the Lord, it's amazing what he does is he rebukes the devourer and he opens up the windows of heaven. Now, I'm not speaking to you on money today because the church is in desperate shape. We're doing really good. We're doing really good. We got a lot in savings. Uh, we aren't hurting. I, and, and I'm no way manipulating you because if you give more money, it doesn't help me actually. I don't really get paid from the church at all. It's like I have nothing to gain. There's no leveraging in this. In fact, if there was an issue in our church right now about divorcing or an issue about sexual sin, you want to know what we'd be talking about? Divorcing and sexual sin. No different. It's just another topic and what is in the word of God. And no different than when we are trying to get everybody in our church to, to be an evangelist for Jesus, to live like him, to pray for the sick, to cast out demons, to pray for the dead. There's no different. But yet there's something in this oftentimes that feels so uncomfortable when we talk about money. I won't ask for a show of hands who feels that way right now because y'all would be like, ah. But there's something that like just feels so weird about it. That's the devil. Because it's a foothold in your life where he tries to convince you. You can't trust what the word says. You can't lean on that. You can't stand on those scriptures. God wouldn't ask you to give away your money. How are you going to survive? How are you going to pay for this? I don't have enough to tithe right now. I don't have enough to give. You'll never have enough to tithe until you start tithing. You'll never have enough. You'll never have enough money to be generous until you, until you start being generous. You won't do it. My wife and I, when the Lord asked us to give away all the money for our house... We didn't know what was going to happen or the Lord just told us, don't build your house until you build mine. And four months later, we begin the process of buying a business that we were supposed to be waiting another five years for. Our income went up 35% last year. So actually it's 135% of what it was because we chose to give. I look over a three-year period of time back when we started giving generously and our, our income doubled every single year. Every single year. I'm not doing anything unique. I'm just crazy enough to believe that the Lord's going to be faithful. And I've learned as I defeated the lion and I defeated the bear with the clothes and the car, I was like, Goliath is gonna be no different. And there's some of you in this room who you've been held back from trusting low with your money. You've been tithing 2% or you've been tithing 8% or you aren't tithing at all. Or you, you just don't trust him at all and you're holding back 100. And you're wondering, why isn't this happening? When's that gonna change? You're reading and hearing these scriptures and you're like, I don't know if I can believe it. I don't know if God's actually gonna provide for me. I'm here to tell you today test him and he will always be faithful to you he will always be faithful to you that as a church and as believers if we want to eliminate every plan b in our life and go all into the lord and surrender everything on the altar you cannot withhold your money and i'm just crazy enough to believe too that what the scripture says that if you will be faithful with unrighteous man and he will give you true riches the bible says that you and i are called the disciple cities Next week, we're going to read a scripture about how God had three men, and he gave them different amounts of money. And to the ones that stewarded well the money that they received, God gave them cities to disciple. Does that sound like something we're praying for? We're praying for cities. We're praying for souls. 
How does God teach us? How does God prepare us? Oftentimes, it's with our finances. I hope you don't get offended at me today. I'm here simply teaching you scripture. It's not a formulated idea that I've come up with. It's just the word of God. Why don't you stand with me? Doesn't Josh look good as a father of two? Come on. He just looks good. Seasoned. Well seasoned. Parents of one child. When you get two, it's like you jumped into the deep end. Three doesn't seem so bad, but then what I've been told when you jump, actually three for us was like a hurricane. I take that whole thing back. Every new child was crazy. Praise God. I figured out my wife was good the entire time. There's an altar for you. And there's an altar for your life. And the fire of God wants to fall upon you. The fresh fire of the Lord. Casey wrote a song recently, Pastor Casey, about oil and wine. Oil and wine are combustible. When the Lord pours that oil and wine over you, and the fire falls, it ignites. That oil and wine the Lord pours on you as you begin to steward well and surrender your life to Jesus. And that fresh wine begins to cover you. And I believe that this morning that there's many in this room, and I'm not going to ask you to respond, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but there's many of you in this room, you've been hesitating and questioning whether you can trust the Lord with your money. It is not the first step, but it is a necessary one in your surrendered life. At the Promise Church, we're not going to avoid a topic because it creates people feeling uncomfortable. We want to create a God-comfortable church, not a people-comfortable church. And so I want to ask you, if you are struggling in the area of giving, if you're struggling in the area of tithing, last year I met, my wife and I met for 25 straight days, I think, with somebody every night. And many other leaders in this church met with people as well because this is a topic that requires sometimes digging down into things and questions being asked and how does it relate to my situation? And, you know, how do I make it work in my life? And people don't know where to start. So I want to ask you, if you're here today and you are struggling with this concept of money in any way, shape, or form, giving the hundred to the Lord, giving ten to him, The 90, which we're going to talk about more next week, and you need help. I want you to text me, message me, call the church. You might meet with myself or there's many other people that we have available that will meet with you, people that we trust who do amazing jobs of stewarding their money. And so if that is you, I do not want you to hesitate. There's nothing to be embarrassed by. I was talking to someone just the other day, a couple days ago, how they had a ton of questions with their money. And I just had to remind them, you're not alone. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. If Larry and Rachel felt embarrassed a couple of years ago about their finances, they'd still be struggling today, but they asked for help. They asked for accountability to come in their lives. We need it. I need it. I use it. So if that is you, I want you to take that step to say, okay, Lord, I want to learn. I need help. Reach out. Ask for help. Amen. Why don't you close your eyes? Jesus, we, we ask that we would be a church 
and a people, a group of believers, God, that surrender everything. God, that we wouldn't just withhold the things that are near and dear to our hearts, but we would surrender everything to you. And God, we ask that in the area of our finances that we would lay it all at the altar. That it wouldn't even be a discussion of the ten. It'd simply be about the hundred. God, I lay it all on the altar for you. God, people in this room that have misconceptions and have believed lies about money over the years, we ask that over these next couple weeks, and even starting today, that you would begin to unravel those lies, that they would be broken in the name of Jesus. God, I come against the spirit of offense in this room right now. I break it in Jesus' name. That the blood of Jesus would cover this room and cover these ears and these hearts. Lord, and we would give you everything. No exceptions. In Jesus' name, amen. One last scripture, and then Jeffrey's going to close. The Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God is not after your money. Let me say it again. God is not after your money. He doesn't need it. Listen to me. God is not after your money. He's after your heart. But in order for him to get to your heart, he's got to go through your treasure. And oftentimes your treasure is wrapped up in your stuff your possessions and your money and your income and your cash flow and so lord has to wade through that to get to your heart and so if you're here today and you're like i just i want to give god everything don't be surprised he's asking for your money then because many times it's where our treasure is amen